good morning. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Good morning and welcome to History's Hook, where I guarantee we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. We'll explore a new topic every week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. Today, we will be talking to retired professional boxer, Sammy Sparkman. Born and raised in Columbia, Tennessee, Mr. Sparkman began boxing when he was just seven years old. Following some time away from the sport, Mr. Sparkman spent six years in amateur boxing before turning pro in 1997. He fought in the ring all over the United States and the world, including Poland, Canada, Denmark, Italy, and elsewhere. He's been in the ring with seven future world champions and numerous world title contenders. Known by the nickname Silk, he had a reputation of never turning down a challenge. Like many boxers, however, Sparkman never got the acclaim or the accompanying reward that he fought for during his career. In 2009, at the age of 39, Sparkman hung up his gloves. Today, we'll learn the full story. Sammy Sparkman, welcome to History's Hook. Thank you for having me. We're joined in the studio also by my co-host, historian Joanne McClellan. Good morning to you, Joanne. Good morning, Tom. First off, Mr. Sparkman, you and I met this week for the very first time when you came into the Murray County Archives. You'd sp- said to you that, that you had spent uh, most of the night awake the previous night with yes. your mind focused <laughs> on the history of this place that you call home. What does Columbia, Tennessee mean to you? It means to me, like, it's really, when I say home, home, I mean, I want to know everything about Columbia as as a whole. I mean, as far back as I can remember, it's maybe when I was three, or f- between three and five years old. You know, it's like just different things that happened, you know, it's like, and I just want to get to know, which I wasn't tied, taught or now I just, at this point in my life, I just want to get to know much more about Columbia has as it growed sure sure How, uh, do you think this town has influenced you in your life you're about 50 51 51 years old how, how much has columbia influenced you you've been all over the world you've experienced a lot in your life what what is columbia what have you taken from columbia actually from columbia itself i've taken just you know just trying to recognize different things that's going on in in columbia and things that grow the different changes that i've seen you know as i've grown and you know it's like and more or less it keeps me just thinking about my hometown just keeps me more grounded tell us about your family did you come from a big family who who are your parents and what my my family it was i want to say i come from a big family and my mother was mary mary mitchell which is mary sparkman maiden name my dad was sam walker and uh they they brought me up pretty well, you know. It's like now nah, my dad, well, he was there, but as much as he possibly could. My mm-hmm. mom, she was there all the time, and I learned a lot from my mom. She was the she was the heart and soul, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> she was the heart and soul. Was she tough know? on you? She was always tough on me. Yes, and she was one of those women who just worked her butt off. Yeah. And my dad, even though I learned, he was once I really knew and understood my dad. I learned he was paralyzed from the day that I was born. His whole left side was, he was paralyzed. And uh, mm. from that point, you know, I've always seen him work his butt off. 
you know so their work ethic comparing myself to them watching them i had a real strong work ethic real strong and it starts with those two i mean they really built me they set that example for you yes yes how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have, well, let's not get into that <laughs> one, but <laughs> but on my mom's side, I have uh, four f- four sisters and two more brothers. Okay. Yeah. Um, where'd you Where'd you go to school? I went to school at at College Hill, which is elementary, which mm-hmm. is great. Then I went to uh, Riverside Elementary. Then I transformed over to Whitthorn Elementary. I never made it right into Central. That's when I really dropped out of school and that's when I realized like, because I always, always told my mom I said, Mom, I'm going to be the first one of your kids to graduate. You know, it's like did I fail her or did I fail myself? I failed myself. Huh. Yeah. What year did you drop out of school? Uh, it's back in 86. 86. 86, yeah. So you're about 15 years old or thereabouts? Yeah, 15, 15, at, 16. At that point. And uh, I dropped out of school and it's like, and I really failed myself. And then I realized, it's like, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Right. Yeah, you know, it's like, and I'm like, that realizing, like, Sammy, you have nothing. You didn't graduate. You know, it's like, so I put on my big boy pants, just went to work and started, you know, just working my butt off like I was taught from my mom and dad. What kind of work did you do at 15? I was I was actually a restaurant manager at Shoney's. Okay. You know, I started out as a, as a bus boy, which is started at the bottom and worked my way up to general manager, which mm-hmm. is at Shoney's. And I stayed with that company for about 18 years. Wow. Wow. And then after that, I mean, that's, I wouldn't say I was really sad, you know. And then after that, it's like, once I lost my job at Shoney's, it's like, what am I going to do now? Was that Shoney's here in Columbia? In Colum- I went from Columbia, to, from Columbia to Franklin to Lawrenceburg to Murfreesboro. Worked in those three restaurants and four restaurants. And, you know, it's like I thought life was good because I kept a good house hold with my kids and kept roof over the head kept clothes on their back and what they needed where everything they needed as far as i understood i had them everything that they needed and uh once i realized i lost my job at shonis i was like man what am i gonna do you know what am i gonna do and i said well kind of buckle up again <laughs> right so what did you do and then i actually just i mean i i once i realized i i came back i left for a while, but I came back and I went. Ended up going back into boxing after leaving it for so years, and realized, you know, it's like I can do something with this. You know, I thought maybe I was good enough. I could do something with it, and and uh, for a while, for about twelve years, I turned pro, and that went well. Let, let's get into that a little bit. So you've gained some fame in your boxing career. We need to step back with that, though. You started boxing according to an article that I read, when you were seven years old. Seven, yes, seven. What, what got you interested in boxing? Oh, oh, that's, that's a story because I love telling this story. There was, there was a guy that was coming that was, used to run every day. I would play out in front of my house. There was a guy, his name was George Watkins. You know, everybody called him Les, you know, and uh, he used to run every day. And I, re- I was always wanted to say, where's this guy's running? Where's he going? <laughs> every day, I see him running. So I stopped him one day and I said, uh, where are you going every day? Where are you running? So he told me he was going to the boxing gym. And he said, I said, I want to go. 
how I want to go. He said, well, go ask your mom. And then from that day on, I started going and running to the gym with him. He'd come down the street. I'd jump in his path and run with him to the gym. It's like, yes. And that's when it all started. It's like, and we started diving. I think my first fight was out in Nashville. Yeah, it was in Nashville. I got pulverated. How old were you? How old were you with your first fight? Eight years old. <laughs> Eight <laughs> years old. <laughs> I have a son that's your age, and when he was eight years old, he could barely play t-ball in yeah. St. Louis. So yeah. you're boxing? Yes, yes. I, I thought maybe, you know, from that point, it's like I thought in my mind, I was just doing something because I wanted to do something. I didn't, didn't did want to lo- stay at home playing the yard. I just did, to did you love the sport? At that time, yes. I mean, I was always, every day I'd go to work, I'd go to school. Once I get out of school, I'd go home and do homework, and then I'd get ready to go to the gym. Where was the gym? It was... I don't know exactly the street. It was on the other side of College Hill School. Okay. Which was great. I remember the street it was on, and I still don't know that street today. <laughs> Did you have a trainer or? Morgan Hines. Morgan Hines. The okay. best guy ever. The best guy ever. One of the best guy. One of the best guys. I want to say, the best guy that ever stepped in my corner. Okay. Is that right? Yes. Did he own the gym? He owned the gym. He ran the gym. As far as I remember, no back as far as I hear. He started the gym back in 1969. 69. That's just what I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, When you first started and you're seven years old, were there many guys going to the Oh, that was, quite, that was a lot of guys. It was popular. Yeah, it was a lot of guys. It was. I want to say it was like at least anywhere from... 13 to 20 guys you know we had we had a team we had a a real good team wow any other seven-year-olds yeah that was really (laughs) that was me and that was i mean i'm between seven and i'm gonna say between seven and seven and ten that was me that's me my 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 brother you know other guy named jeffrey walker you know it's like you know a lot of guys some of the guys i don't remember you know but we always just fought together and and just just learned from each other and picked on each other every day. <laughs> did you did you follow boxing nationally? I mean, it it's a it's always been a popular sport, of course. Did you know anything about boxing outside of what was happening in Colombia in that gym? No. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. To this day, I could probably tell you some things, but other than that, so you didn't have any boxing mentors outside of no. who was in your gym. You're no. you're just learning the sport, learned the sport, and I, and that's why I, so I give myself a pat on the back because everything I've done, I was, I'm that guy. I like, I done it on my own. Nobody really drove me to do it. I chose to do it and and go forward with it. In the article that I read, it said that you stopped boxing when you were about 11 years old. Was he 11? I want to say maybe I did. Do you remember what prompted you having to leave the gym or wanting to leave the gym? I think what prompted me and what really we moved from the east side of town, which is on 8th Street, to Nashville Highway, which is behind, which was, I always call it behind the Coca-Cola plant, okay. you know, okay. which was McBride Circle. We moved out there and there was no way to get back and forth okay. unless... You the ran. coach, Morgan Hines, <laughs> would send his associate to pick us all up. Huh. So she would come, and which was great. She'd come, and she'd pick us all up. And we'd have a car full of guys, and we'd go to the gym and work out. I mean, it was, it was great. Hmm. It was great. 
So in that interim time, when you were boxing sort of intermittently, when you could maybe, or training intermittently when you could, um, you said you were you were working, you were going to school for a time, dropped right. out of school, but right. you were working full time right. at that point in time, just trying to trying to make some money. Make some money. That's try to it. live. Yeah, that's it. Until you're 21 years I'll old. I try to help my mother out and what I could, yeah. Um, at 21, you became an amateur boxer. 21, I, I became back in, in amateur boxing, and I did good. And What does it mean to be an amateur? So you were working out. You continued to work out during this these off years when you're working no really i was i was a, i was a street guy yeah i mean i want i don't want to say street guy because i want to say i was one of those guys who stayed from the street but want to just have fun hang out with the guys you sure. know i wouldn't call myself a street guy everybody was like he went to a street guy <laughs> <laughs> so when, at what point did did you think about boxing seriously uh when i started about boxing seriously is when i came back when i was 21 and uh because i didn't Morgan and I hadn't seen each other for years, and uh, I was working in in Franklin, and uh, I was I was a assistant manager in Franklin and Shonis. He came through one day, and God knows why, but uh, he came through. Him and I bumped into each other, talked to each other, and uh, and uh, he's like, uh, "I haven't seen you forever." I said, "I know." I said, "I've been working, trying to keep a roof over my head, keep shoes on my kids, and you know, sleep." You know, just trying to take care of the family. He's like, why don't you come back to the gym? I was like, okay, I will. And that time, I was smoking cigarettes, drinking. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just like, I was like, I was like, no, this, this, this ain't gonna work. Then I just dropped everything I was doing and started working, going to gym, working, going to gym. And then with that time, I took it serious, and uh, I had three amateur fights. From the time I was 21 till I was 23, maybe it was six, 23, and uh, I just kept fighting, kept fighting, and all of a sudden he came to me one day. He said, "Uh, because I was doing real good, and I felt like I was doing real good." And uh, he's like, "Uh, do you wanna? Would you? Would you like to turn pro?" I was like, "Yeah, all right, whatever." <laughs> so explain what it means to turn pro. What does it take to make that transition from amateur boxing to professional boxing? Is it just you have a promoter that puts you out there, or do you have to win a certain number of matches, or what? How, you how have does that work? you have a trainer, promoter that put that really puts your name out there. And these guys, as a boxing, as I figure it, they look at these records and and see what the seesaw math was of them, and they try to figure out, or they see you on television, or they see you on a, on a recording that they record, and they would make a decision like, this could be a good good, good thing, you know? And uh, so, so the promoter or the manager is seeing a financial possibility coming that's, from a fighter. That's what I think, you know? And that's what I mean, that's actually, that's what I, I feel. And uh, yeah, they see a financial standpoint, at the same time, they see a financial standpoint, but at the same time, that fighter is probably looking at a financial standpoint sure. or financial stability or somewhat of stability, which is not really stability for most fighters. And, uh, and it just opens up and one thing leads to another and you go from amateur straight into professional and you have no protection as a professional and you try to figure out am I going to do this? 
<laughs> no, pro- no protection meaning contract. No, no headgear. Oh, you know, ooh. you know, no. I oh, mean, so con- so that's a difference. So let's talk about that a second. The difference yeah. between amateur boxing there right. are there are rule changes right in those two. So in amateur right. boxing, you wear headgear. It's protecting your amateur regular. You wear headgear. You wear shirts, but you you got short shirts and shorts in amateur. In pros, you don't wear shirt, you don't wear no head that gear. all goes away. And all you got is gloves, you know, and, and your head movement. And it's like, wow, I'm doing this. You know, and I was at Morgan, and I I went to see Morgan just the other day when we seen each other. And him and I were sitting there talking. And first thing he does is come in and we hug each other, talk to each other. He hits the, he hits the VCR, turns on my first fight ever. <laughs> As a as a pro, as a pro, yeah, and wow. it was the first fight was in in Nashville at the Municipal Auditorium, and uh, we sat and watched him like against wow. Joe Anderson. Yes, yes, Joe Anderson sure was, and uh, he's like, wow. I was like, wow. It's like we sat there and watched it, and I had to rewind it, watch it again. I mean, because I remember that fight vividly. I mean, just we're gonna like, we're gonna yes. talk about it. We need to take a break. <laughs> okay, we're gonna take our first break. When we come back, I want to hear all about your first fight against Joe Anderson at okay. Municipal Auditorium right. in Nashville. You're listening to History's Hook. We'll be right back. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by Serve Pro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. History's Hook, sponsored by Serve Pro, with your host Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today, we are speaking to Sammy Sparkman, who is a professional boxer coming out of Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, Sammy, when we went to break, we were just talking about your very first professional fight. So this happens, you go pro in 1997. Your debut fight is against a guy named Joe Anderson at Municipal Auditorium in Nashville. So is this your first fight? You said you'd fought in Nashville prior to this. I fought in Nashville as an amateur prior yeah. to this, but this is my pro, the first pro fight. What did it feel like? The first pro fight. It was what does very. That feel like? It was. It was different. But I was like, when I, I mean, I I felt like I was just happy to be there. It's <laughs> like it was. It was just something. It's like yes, you know, like okay, I'm doing something. Were there a lot of people in the audience? Yes, it really was. Was that know? the first time that you'd fought in front of a big crowd? Well, it's always been big crowds. Really? As amateurs, okay. we always had good crowds, you know, very supportive families and family members. And, you know, it's like it was always crowd. But as a professional, it was different because you had no headgear, no shirt. And you and you got all these people yelling your name when you come out. They're going <laughs> uh, uh, tunnels like, oh, God. <laughs> and uh, actually, I... I uh, I felt pretty good about my first fight. And what did you know about your opponent, Joe nothing, Anderson? Nothing. I mean, and, and and then from that point on, I knew nothing about none of my opponents. Nothing. Was that typical? Not to know no, you? No. No. I mean, that's just the point. Like, me, myself, I was like, I was didn't want to know anything. Really? I just wanted to go fight. Because I felt like I was good enough I could fight anybody. All right. <laughs> You know, I mean, and, and I just wanted to fight. You know, it's like, and even when the coach come in and say, you want to see a tape of this guy? And, nah, let's not do that. Mm. You know, I, I'd rather so keep So that my, information was offered to you. Yeah, you I want to keep not. I want to keep my level, my mind level where it's at. And my mind level is here instead of being down in the middle or down low. I don't want to put myself in any other level than I'm at, you know. So you I, came into every fight confident you were going to win. Every fight. Every fight, confident I was going to win. Did you win your first fight? I won my first fight. Talk, talk about it. Do you remember your fight, first fight? 
I remember the first part. And now that you say it, I mean, I was watching it just the other day. It's like, ah, oh. I mean, and I remember it. I mean, because how many rounds was this fight scheduled for? Do you remember? It was scheduled for eight rounds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, eight rounds, if I'm not mistaken. And I stopped him in the second round. <laughs> second. Second round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if I, I, mean, I mean, maybe in the third round, but I'm saying I, saw, I stopped him in the second round. I mean, we had a good battle. We had a good battle going. I mean, he hit me, I hit him, and we was, and for some reason or another, I was like, everything just went. I mean, we was in clutches. We was uh, away from each other, punching each other, and for some reason, I caught him with an uppercut, and then with a left hook, it's like, oh. and I could see this stuff unfolded. Uh-huh. <laughs> was it a knockout? <laughs> Yes, with a, not a knockout, knockout, clean knockout, but technical knockout okay. means he got an eight count and he couldn't, he didn't want to go. Actually, his corner threw in the towel. They didn't want to see him continue because I really caught him with like six good punches, like just. Hmm. I, I I I never even realized it till I just watched the fight the other day. <laughs> <laughs> What's it feel like looking back on a fight now that you're 51? Looking back when you're in your 20s, your very first, your debut professional fight. How, what did it feel to watch that back? It feels weird, but you be like, to me, in my state of mind, I was like, I did that, I did that. Yeah, I'm all right with that. You know, it's like. It makes you want to, and in my in my fit, it makes me want to go back to the gym and work out some. Like, did I was like, nah. <laughs> you remember nah. what the punches were <laughs> <feel> like, right? <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> what did your mom think when you did your first fight? My mom, I don't really know. Okay. I really don't. I, I'm not gonna lie. I don't really know. You know, it's like she knew I was working. I was I was boxing. I was fighting. And even when I was amateur, she she was always supportive of it just keep me busy doing did you watch something it? did she come watch your fights the first fight i don't remember if she came but i knew my i know my some of my family members came showed up because i think she was more or less not wanting to see it <laughs> sure not wanting to see it you know that's, pro- that's probably relate. typical right, right. <laughs> i can relate <laughs> I, I think she was one that didn't want to see it and it's like this ain't right and then i think i fought several times and i finally got to come out to see one fight and i can't remember which fight it was and i think it was in nashville she came to nashville once and we fought in columbia twice so i think she came to those and where did you fight in columbia we fought at central high and we fought was yeah we fought at central and we fought it at the uh, at withdrawn both really in the gym in the okay. auditorium yeah between that opening fight in August of 1997 and August of the following year, you won seven bouts. Seven, yeah. Your yeah. first seven fights, yeah. you won. Yeah. That's an impressive beginning to a career. In September of 1998, you got a fight against Mikkel Kessler in Copenhagen, in Co- Denmark, Denmark. Copenhagen, yes. Uh, how did this fight get booked? That's, oh. a, that's a big jump. It was... It was promoters talking promoters and saying this could be a fight, this could be a fight. But then again, it's like in my eyes, looking at it or thinking about it, they was they was trying to get somebody to come in and help this guy make a career for himself or make a career for this guy. And uh, I wouldn't that guy to say no, I'm not fighting him. Yeah, I want to fight. Yeah, let's just go. So he was considered an up and comer. He was 19 years old at the time. Right. Yeah, uh, just starting out. He had a five and zero record. You right. had a seven and zero record <laughs> right. going into this fight. Right. Had you traveled much beyond Tennessee at this point in time? 
I, we traveled before and we we went to I want to say we went to uh Michigan, New York. We went we've been different places. Well, I mean, we've always went to Tunicore to fight and and different okay. places like that, but once it's at Denmark Copenhagen, I was like Where's this place? A long right, fight, right. a long plane Where's ride. Where's this place? <laughs> like, yes. Was that intimidating just to be in a different country, different language, different people? Was it intimidating for you? In the thought process of the beginning, yes. You know, and I was like, I still want to go, you know? <laughs> and then once I got there, it's like, it was like, I felt so good because they treated you like you was just so important. Huh. You know, like, and, and, and instead of them, even if we didn't know each other's language, we understood what each other was saying, you know. So they made I, I felt comfortable there. I felt welcomed, you know. And we talked like, like it, we knew each other for years, you know. Uh-huh. Even the people and everybody. It's like, and then the day of the weigh-in, which is this was just stunning. The day of the weigh-in, we weighed in, and uh, we both weighed one forty, and uh, I was okay about that. And the day after the weigh-in was the fight. So I get in the ring. I look across the across the ring at this guy. He looks nothing like the guy that, I, <laughs> that we weighed in about, you know. But he was, you know. I mean, because I'm saying he. I mean, visually in his face, he was the guy. He looked. He was sure. the guy. But his body mass seemed as if like, and I tell the story most of the time. Seemed like he ate another guy you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know I don't know if I was tripping or what you know it's like look like he just ate another guy it's like this guy is huge so he looked intimidating to you <laughs> yes I'm like this guy was huge but you know it's like I'm here God got me here that was the reason for me to be here he he had a nickname the hitman the hitman yeah also a little intimidating yeah did you have your nickname yet did I? My nickname was always Silk. Always. always. So even so prior to your professional one, career, always. How'd you get the name? My, I was, it was. I was real young. I want to say I was like four or five, and or maybe between four and seven. And my uncle, he just started calling me Silk. Silk Sammy. Silk Sammy. I was like Silk, <laughs> Silk. Like I just stuck with it. I stuck. I just took it. And I took it and kept it. When they introduced you in that fight against Kessler, they entered entered introduced him as uh Mikkel the hitman, hitman kessler right, right they introduced you by your full name your right. middle, middle name alan yeah alvin alvin yeah. okay so they yeah. they didn't use silk no they didn't you know and it's like and and i didn't i mean i did, it didn't bother me i was like okay whatever <laughs> you know i mean the fight was it was he was a hard hitter he was a that was, I mean, that was my eighth fight, and he hit like he was just, it was unreal getting hit like that. You know, it's like, oh, well, it's he, just a hit. <laughs> he, he was 19. You were 28. Yeah. So there's yeah. a pretty big age difference pretty big, Yeah, there. pretty big difference. You're 7-0. Yeah. and 0. Yeah. He's 5-0 and 0 coming right. into the fight. Right. Neither one of you had been beaten yet. So right. you're going in confident, though. Like oh, yeah. you had in oh, every yeah. fight prior to this. Oh, yes. You're yes. doing it. But you didn't do any research on him. No. No, it was Again. No, I mean, but I, did I you never think you might gain an advantage by understanding his stance or what his strength is? If he's a hard right hitter or a hard left hitter, did it? Did it? What was your thought process with that? My thought process was I wouldn't learn anything. Okay, you know, even if I've seen him, and that's just me at that point in my life. It's like I won't learn anything. It's like 
he could be another whole different person when I get there, just like a whole different body. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I've just always thought it's like you got to go in and you got to go in with confidence and just fight. Did you, you feel know? like a boxer is going to adjust anyway? So you know, the boxing being a fluid sport the way it is by by studying and maybe maybe you don't learn or maybe. You don't learn enough. You don't way. learn, or you don't learn. You don't learn enough because you have to adjust in any given yep. day or situation. You have to adjust to the situation itself. You know, it's like you just so advantage in that point. Maybe, maybe not. Depending at fifty-one, if you could speak to your twenty-eight-year-old self, <laughs> would you would you counsel yourself to do it differently? I would, and I would also have you know. If I was my own coach, I would tell my tell my myself, "Hey, do this, do that. You gotta understand, this guy's coming with this. You know, we're we're practice on this. You know, you gotta understand, this guy's coming with this. We're practice on this, but you have to understand, it's gonna be different angles that you have to come at this with. Right. So the styles are different. The yeah, attack is very different. different very okay. different. You know, it's like it's 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 a lot of it's really a lot of studying on that as far as styles go that's why i say most of the time you have to go into it with a confident mindset sure. and just adjust as it moves forward with 117 left in the first <coughs> round a flurry of punches by kessler knocked you out yes yes <laughs> uh who was in your corner that day that was morgan hines and lorenzo washington which is the next best guy in my corner he was he's awesome yeah. you, you lost your first fight uh how did that feel? How did you take how did you take this first loss? Me myself, a loss it's just another day at the office. Okay. <laughs> I mean and that's you took just, it in stride. That's always with me. It's always me and to this day it's still always me. A loss, just another day in the office. You know, it's like you didn't do something right, move on. You gotta keep moving forward. If you stand still, you're not gonna accomplish nothing. You gotta keep stepping. Mikko Kessler uh, would go on to be a three-time WBA super welterweight champion, ending his career with a 46-win, uh, three-loss three record. Right. Yeah. So I don't think you need to hang your head on a loss against a guy like that. I'm not. I'm not going to hang my head. I'm like, we're not. I'm, I'm just keep moving forward. I love your outlook. That's, and that's, that's what I've still done. Me. It's like I'm still moving forward. You know, and I look back at some of these guys, even the Yamaha guys that I came up with, looked up some of those guys, and tried to compare myself with, you know where they are, where I'm at, you know, it's like, and then even with some of the professional guys that I fought, I put myself in like, where are they, where am I at this point in our lives? Did you have a boxing career goal? No. Just fighting one fight to the next? My goal, my goal mentally was keep a roof on my kid's head. You saw it as a career? You saw it as a means to, for... And not as a career. Game. I've seen it as a position to keep finances in my household because I dropped out of school. You know, I tried my best. So at that point, I was like a journeyman fighter, journeyman fighter. So yeah. it means you'll fight anybody, go anywhere, do any, what you need to do. And if you could capitalize off of it, you're going to capitalize off of it. If there's a leading into your career where you start to just keep going up and up and up, that's great. But if you feel like... It comes to time where, you know, it's not going to work. I've tried. Then you say, okay, time to move it's on. not going to work. You know, it's time to, you know, and 
I told my mom, I was like, I won't say I was 37. And I told my mom, I said, uh, this, I'll let you know in my last fight. She's like, it's time for you to quit. You know, it's like, and my fiance at the time said, you know, I think, I think enough's enough. You know, it's like, and I decided it's like, enough's enough when I say it's enough. You know, I yep. mean, and not being a smart butt, you know, yep. it's enough's enough when I say it's enough. You know, it's like, and when I fought 39, what was his name? Uh, uh, I can't even remember his dang old name. I just had it on the tip of my tongue just the other day, but we fought out in St. Louis. And uh, I it seen- It wasn't Spinks, was it? No, no. Miss Spinks and I, we fought down in Memphis, I okay. believe. Memphis at, was it Memphis at the, yeah, him and I fought in Memphis. Okay. And we went eight rounds, and he got the decision, which was okay. I mean, I was okay with that because I, I was just proud to be fighting him and go eight rounds, and we finished eight rounds, and he got the decision. I'm like, yes, you know, <laughs> I fought one of the guys, you know, and it went on, you know. Um, Andre Lottimore. Lottimore, that's it. Lottimore was his yeah. name. Yeah. And when I fought in 39, I mean, at age 39, I fought Andre Lottimore. Him and I, I looked at him. It's like, this is going to be my last fight. I'm going to beat this guy. I said, I'm beating him. I'm winning this fight. And uh, from round one, every punch I threw, I hit him. <laughs> And I knew I was going to hit him. And I, t- I would tell my, this was so interesting because I would tell myself, I'm going to hit him with this. And I would really hit him with that. You know, and I would really get away with it. And sometimes he called me and then, uh, I mean, and uh, we went on and we went, was it 10 rounds? 10 rounds, 10 rounds. And he got the decision. And uh, in my eyes and in the crowd's eyes, I beat him. I beat him. Hmm. You know, when they gave him that, when they decided, when the decision came and he won that fight, I knew that was it. Mm. I knew that was it. I saw, I, I mean, because maybe if I'd won that fight, I may have went on and had another one or two fights. <laughs> <laughs> but once I realized that that decision came through, they're not going to, I mean, nobody's going to, you know, give me a fight. I mean, nobody's going to judge me to win a fight even if I win it. Right. Because it's been like eight Eight fights that I know of that I should have won. And the decision went the other way. Went the other way. Did that make me mad? Yes. <laughs> yes I read that did. the Kessler fight was your biggest career payday. Can I ask, how, how much did you make on that fight? And what was it your biggest I, payday? I really keep that personal. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I really no, do. I, I really keep that, that personal. But I tell, you, I, I tell you this. Within my fighting career, I made a pretty good hunk of money. Okay. Yeah, I just put it like that. You know, it's like I made a pretty good hunk of money. You know, it's like as far as keeping the roof on my kids' head, I did everything, putting my, I mean, make sure they had everything they need. Were you working at the same time you were fighting? Even Full-time job, 60, 60 hours. Wow. Really? 60 hours. G- give me an idea of a typical day for you then in your typical, professional career. What, what in You're my waking pro- up at what time and what's your day like? In my professional career, I would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I would go to work by 5 I'd get off at five. I'd get off at anywhere between four and six. I'd go home, talk to my kids, see how the school day went, and I'd talk to my woman, their mother, and say, "I'm I'm going to the gym. I'll be getting dressed, and I'm headed to the gym." So I'd go to. I leave work. I leave work. I leave my house by five thirty six. Get to the gym. I probably work out to eight or nine o'clock at night. Go home. Go to sleep. 
And there was times where there was two times where I left home after work and I knew I didn't have to be at work the next day. I would stay at the gym, work out, go to sleep in the gym. Really? Get up the next morning, work out. That's a work ethic. Yes, yes. That's where I was at one point in my life. For about those 12 years of professional fighting, I was physically half mentally there, but I knew physically I was there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Wow. You know, I would get up and I, I mean, you'd see me, you'd see me running through town at least five days a week. Sometime I'd run on the bypass on, <laughs> on eight, uh, four twelve, to the gym, ten miles, just run. It's impressive. Just run. Do you still work out? No. <laughs> yes, my job. That's my workout. <laughs> I get you. My job is my workout. That's it. <laughs> we're going to take our second break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Sammy Sparkman. We'll be right back on History Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today we're speaking with Silk Sparkman, who was one of the very few professional boxers that came out of Columbia. Uh, Mr. Sparkman, Fight Club journalist David Kessel did a piece on you and asked a number of interesting questions. One of the ones that he asked, he mentioned that you really never learned the process or business of boxing. And it sounded like you had some regrets that you didn't know more about the the business side of boxing. Do you feel that you were taken advantage of by promoters or matchmakers during your career? Sometimes, yes. I'm going to say most of the time, yes. But... They were doing what they wanted to do. I'm not saying which was legally right in the book. And I was doing what I thought I just I wanted to do, which was fight. Fight, make money, you know. And then that's what I wanted to do. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing it, you know. And uh, even when I tell, when I spoke to him, I was like, and, and these guys, you know, they're doing what they think they want get to get over on somebody. You're not getting over on nobody. You're cheating somebody. Yeah. You're ripping somebody off. The one that's risking everything in the ring. Everything. You know, you're you ripping these guys off. You know, and some of these guys, I'm not knock on wood again, some of these guys would not make it to where I'm at today. And mentally, I think I'm in a good position. Physically, I think I'm in a good position. You know, it's like still got my head on my shoulders. I'm still able to walk around talking, have fun, and, and cut up with everybody. Still able to keep a good, steady job. You know, still able to really do basically what I want to do. You know, some, some, of these, can't. some of these guys can't even get out of bed or didn't make it out of, I mean, just didn't make it in this world. They, they died. They got killed or they committed suicide. You know, it's like because of the lifestyle they was living or maybe the life, the area which they grew up in you know they just stuck in that moment you know what advice would you give a young man who wanted to go into boxing as a career and when when you talk about when you speak of boxing i'm gonna say i would advice i'd give any young man to as a person to go into any profession athlete athlete athletic profession do your best to find out what you can do to do everything right. 
right meaning walk right, talk right, you know, you know, do every, I mean, no, anything, you know, just make sure you do it right and don't let anything derail your plans. There's always going to be obstacles in life where something derails your plan, but you got to have a mental process where you say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let it happen. Stay focused. Yeah, I'm not going to let it happen. And, and, and doing that, it's hard. You know, I, and I have to speak for that because it's hard. You know, it's like, but if you do it, you can get to a point in life where you can just say, I've done it. You know, and that's where I'm at today. I've done it. You can hold your head up. Yes. You're talking about pride. Yes. Yeah, I've done it. Be you prideful know? in the and work. you ain't got to worry about somebody saying, well, he did this, but he didn't do this. Well, ain't no matter what I didn't do or what I did do. It's where I'm at today. Where am I at today? Um, Kessler wasn't the only boxer who went on to <coughs> some pretty big acclaim in the sport. You, After the Kessler fight, you lost two more fights back here in the States before going on to a three-fight win streak in Nashville. On November 26th of 99, you fought Corey Spinks in New Orleans, which Joanne alluded to. Spinks was 20-1 right. and one going into that fight. Right. Here, I was blown away when I read that you fought him. So he was the son of Leon Spinks, who right. I remember watching in 1978, winning the undisputed heavyweight championship by defeating Muhammad Ali right. in a split decision. What is considered one of the biggest upsets in boxing history? Did you watch that fight? I did. So we're about the same age. You, and <laughs> I, I did. We're just kids. I, I did watch that. I mean, fight. I didn't know I did. anything about boxing, but I come from a big family too. Right. I'm one of seven kids, and yeah. I remember we were all around that television watching that, screaming thinking Muhammad Ali, I didn't even know who he was, but I could tell by the way people talked about him, they talked about him with reverence. Yeah, he was going to beat was, this guy, yeah. and Spinks wins. Yeah. I remember a scream I, in I our remember, living room. I when did he, watch that fight. I remember that fight. It's like, and even to that day, you know, I, I don't even believe that I even recognized that I was really fighting. I, I just <laughs> so remember, you're fighting I just, Leon Spinks' I remember, son, I just remember watching that fight and talking about that, you're talking about those days. My first movie I went to was downtown in cinema, was a Smoking the Bandit. Okay. <laughs> I watched that. And then the second movie I went to see was Rocky. <laughs> and from that day on, I'm like, I said, yes. <laughs> you walk out, you walk out of auditorium just, just, just punching. It's like, absolutely. After, and during that time, I think, man, I don't even know when those, those movies came out, but those. I'll talk like I'm old, don't I? <laughs> we're, we're getting there, buddy. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so Corey Spinks, he's 21, but he's the son of Leon Spinks, who right. we were talking about. So did you know about him? Did When you went into that, was it intimidating? I didn't know anything about Corey. I just knew he was Leon Spinks' son. Okay. Was it intimidating? Were you nervous no, about just, him? Just knowing he was Leon Spinks' son, that was like, I'm fighting somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm fighting somebody just because of the speaks name. I'm fighting somebody. You know, it's like yes, and that's that was that was really one of the real main reasons I fought Corey was because I knew he come from a boxing family. Yeah, yeah St. For Louis. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Spinks held multiple world championships in two weight classes, including the undisputed welterweight title from 2003 to 2005, and the IBF junior middleweight title between 2006 and 10. So right. he he went on to uh, quite a career as well. Uh, Here's something interesting I read, too. Another Columbia boxer, Tim Spider-Webb, another uh, boxer from from here, he said uh, in an article, I'm grateful for any opportunity I can get, but my mission now, this is after he won a title that was pretty, pretty big, his mission now was to disprove the myth surrounding all Tennessee fighters. 
I know that going into the uh, Calais fight, people probably looked at me and thought I was just some dumb, unskilled, tough hillbilly. It's a bad stereotype surrounding fighters down here. Is that a stereotype that you heard about or experienced during your career? Did Tennessee fighters have a have this kind of a reputation? I'ma say it depends on where you where you went, who you heard it from, and how you put it all together. Because we all we grasp things in different sit uh, different different reasons, or it 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 hits us in a different kind of way. You sure. know, it's like to me, to Tim, he felt that way. To me, I didn't feel that way because. I'm 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 nobody anyway. To me, I'm already nobody, and I'm making myself somebody. You know, it's like, huh? So that's why I'm headed. That's where I was headed. You, you weren't got, concerning yourself with what people thought. You're just I wouldn't worry about nobody. Yep. <laughs> that that that's me. That's always been. I'm not worried about nobody. I'm worried about me. You know, these because if you worry about what these people say about you, it 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 follows you. Yeah. Mentally, if you let that follow you mentally, you're already done. That I mean, that's a. That's a mature thought process right there. Does that come in from inside you, or is that something that was taught by your your coach, or where did you learn it? Morgan. Yeah. He's the biggest inspiration in my life. I tell you, he is. You know, when it comes to him, there's nothing that man did or said that was, in my eyes, was wrong. Everything he did or said was always right, hmm. you know. And I'm sure we all have our flaws, but... You know, everything he said it did was always right. You know, and that was times where him and I bumped heads. But at the same time, when I lay down at night, I knew after talking to him or dealing with him, I'm going to sleep good. I'm going to sleep good. Yeah. <laughs> you fought several world champs, including Miguel Cotto, a multiple-time world champion and the first Puerto Rican boxer to win world titles in four weight classes. In 2007 and nine, he reached a peak active pound-for-pound -pound ranking of seventh in the world. You fought Paul Williams, who held the WBO welterweight title twice. Right. You fought Andre Berto. Andre Barto. Uh, uh, right. FedEx builder down in Memphis. Yep. Two-time yeah. former welterweight world champion, having held the WBC and IBF titles between 2008 and 11, And Miguel Angel Rodriguez, WBC welterweight champ. Who's the best fighter you faced in your 42-fight career? Best fighter I ever fought was Miguel Cotto. Hands down, Miguel Cotto. I mean, the rest of these guys, some of those guys, I, I want to say Miguel Cotto, Andre DiBerto fought each other. I don't know which one them won. But when it comes to fighters, Miguel Cotto was the, was the best. Why? What about him? He had an awkward style that I, I really just didn't adjust to, and I tried. You know, it's like after watching him and I fight, I see that I was very too slow for him. You know, he was really, he's mentally ready for quickness, move, movement, you know, and he, he had it, you know, and power. That's the most, I mean, he was the most powerful guy I've ever fought. Even with Michael Kessler, you know, he's, he was good. And, I mean, he had a good, he was another person over there in that ring, but <laughs> Cotto was the most powerful guy I've fought. What makes a puncher a hard hitter? You know, they, some of these, Cotto doesn't look any larger than you, I right. think, in the ring. But right. what gives him the power maybe that another boxer might not be able to get? The power comes from speed. And when power comes from speed, it's also in the way you plant your feet. Because if you plant your feet and you're, sta you're, you're stable when you throw a punch and it comes off and it connects, that person's in trouble. 
Yeah. <laughs> that person's in trouble. You, you know, if they connect good, yeah. So you think Kata was the best fighter you ever fought? Yes. Which was your best match? Wh- which fight did you fight in that you said, I was on my game? It's the best best fight I ever had. We just spoke of the Andre La- Lottimore. Lottimore. I was on my A game. When I say I was on my A game, I was on my A game. Every punch, like I said, every punch I threw, you know, I knew I landed was, him. I was messing him up. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was I was at home the other day and I got stuff, I mean like memorabilia all over my house. And I pulled down this box out of my in my uh closet and the first picture I see where I pulled down and opened the box, and the first pitch I see was him and I fighting. <laughs> I made the front page that day, and I threw a punch and just crushed him. Hmm. I mean, it just just folded him, just like I was like, that was such a good fight. Why did I win? <laughs> why, why, did, why didn't he go down? Why did I win that fight? Yeah, it was like that was such a good fight. And it was your last fight. Yeah, that so was the sense, best one. You lost, but in a sense, you went out on top. Yeah, and I you still went I mean, out at the mentally, top of your Yeah, mentally I I was I was good with that fight. Even they told me I lost, I was still good with that fight. You it did your, a, you did your best. It was a judge's decision. It wasn't yeah. mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my decision. It was a judge's decision. Oh god. In, in the midst of this pretty amazing boxing career, you had a family. Yes. Uh how many children? Eight. Eight kids. Eight. So you're working alongside the time that you're boxing. Yep. Six make, hours plus a week. Yeah, ends meet. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Uh, are any of your children boxers? Fred started out. My oldest son, which is Fred, he started out fighting, and he stopped. I really didn't want him to fight. My youngest son, which is Sammy, he he fought, but I really didn't want him to fight. Cause my main thing was boxing was okay, but in my mind I was thinking, you know. It's a lot of brain trauma there, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I dealt with it. You know, I, I walked away. I walked out of some rings where I looked like the elephant man, you know. How many you know? times were you knocked out? Any idea? Four. Four times. Four times, yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, knocked out, knocked out. Mm-hmm. Knocked out, knocked out, three. You know, as far as being TKO. Yeah, unconscious, yeah, at least three. You know, it's like, I didn't want that for them, you know. It's like, and I, I've always told them, you know, go to school, school. School is the most important thing. And I taught all my kids, you know, school is the most important thing, you know. You go to school, get education. That's what you're going for. If you have an opportunity to go off to college, you go to college. You have an opportunity to go off to tech school, you go to tech school. Let's do let's do what let's do something that's gonna be mentally strong for you, you know. And my kids, you know, and, and I think I was hard on them. I actually no, I was hard on them, you know, and it's like even to this day, they talk to me and say, Daddy, you was hard on us, you know. And uh, I say, you know, I did a good job, you know. Right. Because all of them really went, all of them really graduated school, went off to tech school or college, except for my 14-year-old, which is the one left. And uh, I think they're all doing great. You yeah. gave them all the opportunity to go off to college. Yes. With a, with, with a boxing career and also working a full-time job right and, and all they had to do was just go to school go to school you know and we even go to school get education you know and then once they got I'm going to go to school get a job get a go to school get education they still they still worked they still got out of school went straight to work and still did school you know all of them was taught to do do what's best for you financially and I've always told my kids like you in this world I'm here to do my job my job is to help you get edu- get you get you 
to the adult stage and get to the point where you got to go out and make a family for yourself. You know, it's like, and when you get to that point, you have to go out, you, when you move, leave, leave this house, you have to go make a life for yourself. Don't make your life around me or around Columbia. You know, you can make your life anywhere in any other state or country. You know, go make a life for yourself. It's like, because daddy's always going to work. You know, daddy's always going to try to do good, you know, and if you need something, daddy's going to always be here. But you have to go make a life for yourself and just be that person. You were an anchor for all of them. When I, you I, tell them that I'm always going to be here and I'm always going to work, that gives them a confidence moving forward to go right. to school or follow a career path, whatever career path they chose. Right. They know that they have an anchor there. I assume in the manner that your mom was for you. When your kids say yes. you were a tough dad, yes. you to said this, at the beginning of the show, I had a tough mom. Yeah. In and the same this, way. To this day, she still, she, we talk, they talk at least twice or three times a week just to say, hey, I love you and, you know, or, or what you're doing or just the other day she knows I like to play golf now so she looks she was at she was out uh, at yard sale she's like do you have golf clubs I was like yeah I got a good set she's like I was like, why? She said, I didn't ask you to ask why (laughs) (laughs) did your children stay in Columbia? all all of them still live here in Columbia except for I got one that lives in Texas okay okay all the rest of the day I mean I I feel like they're doing good you know we all have downfalls and we all have different things going on in our life where it's not so good but at the same time I feel like they're doing great yeah that's life yeah um, <clears throat> you fought 42 bouts in your career professional career 211 rounds total you left boxing in 2009 at the age of 39 um, what did boxing teach you 51 years old looking back what did boxing teach you in your life how to be a stand up kind of guy how to be a stand up kind of guy and that's and that to this point in my life, I feel like I'm a stand up kind of guy, you know. And that's if you want to come and talk to me, we can talk all day. You want to come and argue with me? We're not arguing. I don't argue. I don't argue. I don't fight. I walk away from you. I'm just the stand up guy. Is the guy to stand there and talk to you and have a conversation. And ain't no, I I don't feel like there's no one in this world in my life time that can say I just don't like that guy as a person. I feel and think <laughs> that everybody likes me. And my wife was like, nobody really likes you. I was like, okay. I'm okay with that. But my feelings say it's different. <laughs> Will you spend the rest of your life in Columbia? I'm going to say yes. Yes. I, I most likely will. You know, and if not, it's just a decision where it comes on later in my life. But in this point, yeah, I, I most likely will. You know, because I didn't buy my first house till four years ago. You know, and now, like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm okay. <laughs> uh, I'm so happy with it. Sammy Silk Sparkman, thank you for sharing your story with us today. It's been an honor to meet you, get a chance to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I hope that your story, and I know it will, will be a lesson and an inspiration to others. We end the show with this quote from boxing great Sugar Ray Leonard. If you never know failure, you'll never know success. I'd like to thank our sponsor, ServPro of Murray and Giles County, for their support. On behalf of Joanne McClellan, my co-host, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of History's Hook. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of History's Hook with Tom Price. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
Be sure to tune in every Saturday at 8 a.m. and Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on WKRM 103.7 FM for a journey through time. Today's edition of History's Hook was sponsored by ServPro of Murray and Giles County. ServPro, faster to any disaster.